Season 2, Episode 8 of Engineering Heroes, a podcast presenting the incredible engineers that are shaping our society and battling our challenging issues. My name is Mel, and I'm joined every week by Dom, my co-host and our podcast resident innovative engineer, speaking to us from the trenches. This week, we're speaking to a man who is currently calling himself the Chief Dogwalker. But we, and everyone else who knows him, know that he is so much more and he's just taking a breather from the industry. He turned what some would call his weakness into his most solid strength and found his true calling in life. Our guest this week fell into HVAC and R, just like he fell into a few other things. But during all that falling, he built a masterpiece. He rose through the ranks to be the CEO of ERA, the peak body for air conditioning and refrigeration. But his personal struggles saw him morph into the position of government relations and technical services, a role that he called Chief Mischief Maker, a role he has very recently left. As he transitions into a new role that draws on his skills of advocacy and perhaps a little bit of that mischief making, our guest tonight is determined to change the world one refrigerator at a time. Our guest tonight is Phil Wilkinson. Phil's engineering story began because he was good at maths, physics and chemistry, really a traditional mixture that most engineers know. He grew up in an area where he was expected to go to university instead of doing something vocational. He had friends and family in the engineering industry. But straight engineering wasn't enough for Phil Wilkinson. Similar to a previous guest on our podcast, that is Rob Bell from Season 1, Episode 47, Phil decided to participate in a new course that offered engineering along with a modern language. So I was like... Rather, rather than just do you know straight engineering, why don't I just make it a little bit harder and do it yeah. with French as well? <laughs> so yeah, I went. I lived in France for a year studying yeah. mechanical yeah. engineering. One of the things I do remember has been shell shocks going into my first lecture that was uh, four hours long. So my lectures oh. at university in Sheffield oh. were about forty minutes. Didn't understand the thing. There's all. Do you and, speak French at all? Well, I'd done it through school, but that's kind of like. You know, it's kind of like ABC, and then this was thrown in at the deep end. Not only was it school French, plus the stuff you'd forgotten, plus the technical, because it's a really old discipline, so it's got completely different vocab, and the slang and the accents all thrown in together, and they speak really quickly. And the only way that I actually got through, struggled through those, the first three months were the hardest three months of probably anything that I've ever done. But the one thing that got me through that was that on the whiteboard, um, things like torsion and stress and tension have all got the same Greek symbols. Oh, so yeah. I've been a, I've I've really valued the power of the visual language of communicating with engineering. Yeah. Um, well, ever yeah. since then, because it kind of got me through a really tough time. It just goes to show that true universal yeah, language universal is maps. It you know, <laughs> yeah, doesn't matter where yeah. you go; the the formulas are the same and the you know, the outcomes are the same. Definitely. So you've done your degree. I can't believe you've gotten through the the French side of things as well. Like that, that would be amazing. What was your first project that you worked on as an engineer? Okay, so I did. I actually had a summer job in a um, friend of my dad's fabrication factory, 
Um, so that was like work experience. And um, that was a very, uh, qu- very deep learning experience in w- working out that I didn't want to work in a factory, right. burning myself with welding kit and setting myself on fire with <laughs> grinded discs. I kind of worked out I actually wasn't a very good hands-on engineer. So <laughs> Good to learn. Good. <laughs> so that was my first, that was my holiday job. So I worked out I didn't want to, you know, I valued, my, I nearly lost a thumb as well when I oh put my it in the God. wrong place. No, you need so, to yeah. stay away from the factory. <laughs> Definitely. So it's probably a good idea that I didn't go into a more vocational type of engineering. When I came to Australia, I, I fell into the air conditioning refrigeration industry, which is just the story of everybody that's in it. So it seems to be this safe industry that is hidden, that um, quiet achievers get into. Um, but it was actually, I just went, I stayed with relatives on the Gold Coast, went door knocking with my resume. And it was a guy from Leeds that actually took me on and He's still to this day uh, one of my absolute inspirations and role models who continues to do quite amazing global things. So first project I worked on that I remember would have been probably the Legends Hotel on the Gold Coast. And the reason I remember that, I, I was taken on as a design draftsman and we did all the electrical and mechanical drawings. I found the mechanical drawings a lot more interesting because... Mm. Um, you'd know, yeah, pipes and electric, electrical symbols are pretty pretty uninteresting. But I was always asking questions about what I was drawing. Um, so the engineers would get the catalogues out and show me and then take me to site meetings and I'd get involved in meetings. And the job on Legends, I actually was sent out with a mate of my bosses to do the commissioning. So commissioning became part of my mantra from my boss's experience which basically meant you should start designing with commissioning in mind from day one Mm -hmm. to make sure you get a good outcome so I got to spend a couple of weeks staring up the shorts of a commissioning guy on a uh, (laughs) on a stepladder and getting wobbly arms from trying to hold up a uh, a commissioning hood so gave me great insight into making sure you designed good commissioning in from day one. <laughs> so I kind of described myself as an accidental, I kind of accidentally done all this like crazy stuff because I never had a big plan to go to France or end up on the other side of the world or be a CEO in an industry that I'd never even heard of when I was in the north of England. So I've kind of, yeah, I've kind of always just put my hand up going, oh, that sounds like it'll be all right. And learned a lot of things the hard way, uh, mm. including um, managing my own mental health, which has been a, a bit of a, a bit of a cycle through through my journey. So, yeah, I, I never set out to do what I did. I just kept putting really one front of in front in front of another, and learned early on that you don't necessarily have to take the path that everyone else takes. And that was that was a great piece of advice from mm. uh, a lecturer um, when I went to see one of my mates in Sheffield and um, just burst into tears in front of him. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it was brilliant he just said what's what's the matter and I burst into tears and I told him that I didn't know if I really wanted to be an engineer mm. and that everyone else at my degree was applying for all these these great jobs in the UK and he just said look if it's not the right path for you it doesn't matter um, mm. and that's that's a really great piece of advice that's stuck with me ever since ever since university yeah I think most of the people we've spoken to on the podcast they seem to not to say they fell into where they are is probably not right, but it's almost as though the path just sort of presents itself along the way. So it's really the opportunities yeah. just kind of pop up and it's just a case of whether or not you go, 
yeah, that looks interesting. I'll go down that path. And before you know it, you end up somewhere you never thought you would be in the first place. It's, um, yeah. Your, um, your path is laid out in front of you without you even knowing when it's, um, when it's coming along. I think I'd agree with that. And I think now that I'm at this stage where I've been reflecting back on my career as I go into a career change, it's very much, I think, what aligns with your values. So I think when you look back at that path, you go, oh, yeah, I can see now why I took that particular path through the through the journey so why are you still an engineer like if how do you recover from that recover from which bit from being an engineer no no from you know (laughs) you never you never can't be an engineer (laughs) (laughs) like i'm wondering it's like how do you turn around a thing like why am i doing this like in tears and everything why why what made you stay um the people the engineers the people. People. <laughs> <laughs> so, and again, reflecting, and been doing quite a lot of thinking about this as I as I come to the, the, the changeover that I'll have just gone through when this goes to air. Um, it's all about, engineering is all about people and about solving problems. Um, and the bit I actually love is the people that I get to listen to and learn their stories. Um and that was the bit that was the bit I always loved about the role was the people, the clients, the the client meetings and the listening and the learning. Um, when I got to that stage, it was a couple of when I was in um, that that piece at uni was that was that was really a, a weight off my shoulders when the, the the lecturer said this. France had opened my eyes up to traveling and a lot more than what the north of England had to offer. One of my great mates had just come back from Australia and had had this absolute ball. So I kind of went, actually, I'm going to go go to Australia, try and get some work experience. So you got your degree and you thought, yep. I'll just come to Australia and see what there was. And that's when that Leeds guy took you on. Yeah, so pitched up at my relatives on the Gold Coast that I didn't okay. really know. Um <laughs> And they weren't there. They just left. A, I remember ringing them up and saying, oh, can I speak to me Uncle Jim? It was my cousin. And she goes, oh, he, he's gone out to breakfast. And I was like, out for breakfast? Like, this is ringing from borders of Scotland at the time. I was like, who goes out for breakfast? <laughs> so it was just, I mean, that was when the culture shock started, when that first phone call. But anyway, they, I wanted to stay for a couple of weeks with them. And I landed. And they, um, they basically said, oh, we're not going to be there. We'll be back in the UK visiting relatives. There's a car for you to use. Please let the cleaner in. Let the pool cleaner in. Oh, wow. How And, yeah, yeah. And there's, yeah, so, and I ended up staying with them for a year. So huh? it was quite amazing. So where are you working now? So the role, the role I've just finished at ERA, uh, when this goes to air, is the executive manager of government relations and technical services. And what that, the, the board created that role for me when I stepped down, um, with a lot of dignity, actually, from the CEO role, when I felt like I, at the time I was felt like a complete failure. So they created this role that plays to my strengths of um, engagement with people, um, which is the government relations side, and also the my ability to bring people together to look at problems and and bring technical solutions to them. What I've come to realise over the years, the government relations bit is actually about just telling that story in a way that government can understand it as well so it's yeah. it really played to a lot of my skills once i actually finally worked out what advocacy was that it's actually just a really good story with evidence and a an ask 
for change at the end. It's able it's enabled me now to leave area with a with a great framework for a globally contextualized advocacy framework mm. uh, for Australia that area can play a, a, a really big role. What would the world be like without refrigerators or air conditioners? As Phil transitions out of his role at ERA, he is moving into determining how the future of this whole industry could look like. He speaks about his humans of HVACR. Now, for us non-engineering types, HVACR is an acronym for heating, ventilation, air conditioning, and refrigeration. You will be able to discover more about Phil and his journey into advocacy to save the environment on our website, www.engineeringheroes.com.au. There's even a link to Phil's Humans of HVACR on the show notes page for this episode if you'd like to know more about that movement. Now, I'll let you get back to Phil as he explains a little about the history of refrigeration and how when engineers solved one problem, they introduced something into society that is an even bigger problem to solve. And even the refrigeration story is quite fascinating as well. It actually didn't start with the invention of mechanical refrigeration, which was in Geelong by a guy called James Harrison because when you go back through history there used to be an ice trade which was cutting mm. out water so it was a natural low impact way of preserving food it was it was all about preserving food and when you think about preserving food it's all about the health of the yeah. people eating it as engineers we were we we're always there solving problems um but what we also accidentally did we had this really perverse outcome of enabling the the global supply chain so taking grapes from one continent packaging them up giving them to people in other continents that they might not eat and then they're wasted there's also a really fascinating look from a social science point of view where through the use of residential air conditioning what we've enabled is builders to build really crap houses mm. yeah and they just the air conditioner is like a band-aid and it's never it's never really sat well with me personally i think the good thing is that people are starting to realize that and i know that through some of the documentaries and actually uh, the I think it was on 99 percent invisible the, there's a lot of people are looking at the way buildings used to be before air conditioning Absolutely. systems and saying well, why aren't we doing that why aren't we still doing that it's like, like what the, you said it's, yeah. it's like aircon was a band-aid and they yeah. and now yeah. they can make boxes that feel comfortable but it's not good for the environment and no that's yeah. right whereas they had they had systems that were Natural systems that harness the, the environment, yeah. big yeah. windows, airflow, positioning, all these sort yeah. of things. Yeah. All the yeah, and the bit when you start unpacking that a little bit more is not only have we not got the verandas for the shading, but we used to sit under the verandas and be connected to nature outside, yeah. which is really important for people's again your mental health. But you also used to see your neighbour next door, which was that physical connection with people again, which is really important. So through the through the use of this wonderful technology that as engineers we we invented, we've actually enabled a massive unpicking of social capital. So it's much more than an engineering problem that we've we've got now to solve. That we you know so we've helped create it. So now I'm saying let's work with social scientists, behaviour experts, storytellers, um, as well as the engineers to get the planet back in a, a decent shape. This global challenge that we've got that I've talked about there. The emissions impact, this gang of humans that were hanging out in the plant room with are looking at this global issue, but want to take it down to a very uh, single person or, you know, the power of one person. 
to change. We talk about changing the world one fridge at a time. About how how can we take that behavioural science and turn that into a message to drive that minuscule change at every single person's level? Um, and some of the thinking is is actually what would it look like if we didn't have fridges, um, but we had just in time health, which is when you think about what refrigeration's for, it's for is for health and food preservation, and also the body different aspects of the body need to be cooled at different times. Um, and if you're older, you need different requirements. And what would that look like on an individual level rather than trying to cool a whole building, which is just it's senseless, really? Yeah, well, I think Ashak talked a bit about that, moving into the personal comfort. Yeah, so Ashak's yeah. doing a lot of work in, in thermal comfort. So yeah. I'm, I'm talking to thermal comfort is just about only one part of comfort so when you start mm. again when i've started doing some reading you've got that concept of comfort that what comfort used to mean which was about feeling cozy and at home and cared for and loved mm. um so the thermal comfort bit is just looking at the physiological side which ashak and his team are doing a great yeah. job with um but now starting to understand the social science and the health aspects it comes right down to energy how can we look after the the energy in the body so that you're healthy so it's that brainwave stuff for the mental health your sort of your heart side and also your gut as well well some of the reading i've been doing lately saying they're all interlinked with neuropathways um so the the this just in time health concept is not just looking at temperature but looking at your um your brain activity as well as your nutrition um, aspects as well. So or looking at spirit, heart, and mind is another way of thinking about it. Well, everything you do in engineering always comes back to equilibrium. Like it's always about states trying to get back to, to a, you know, a central plane. And it, yeah. it, doesn't, it, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it is you know, a human being or a room that you're trying to, to get to a certain temperature. If you've got everything all the various components all working together and all sitting in a natural state and everything just yeah. works. Yeah. So, which yeah. is, which is, which is what humans are all about. And my latest narrative is the party in the plant room with the basically disruptors that are going to tackle this number one action to reverse global warming, which we found out a bit late was refrigerant management. So mm. there was a piece of work done by Paul Hawking called project drawdown. Yes. Um, I that I'd vaguely heard of a couple of years ago. Um, and then someone actually tagged me into a comment on LinkedIn saying, oh, yeah, this Phil Wilkinson's done leading work in refrigerants in Australia and Paul Hawkins coming. In. And I didn't even know the person who tagged me in, which was bizarre. So I kind of followed this, like this bread trail and found out that, yeah, Paul Hawkins had written this book and identified um through quite an amazing process the the top 100 actions to reverse global warming and there it was num number one was refrigerant management what we're doing is putting a basically a, a fearless bunch of party animals in the plant room to create a movement a global democratic movement to tackle tackle this massive issue and we're just about to start working with them again on his next project which is called project regeneration um, and how we tackle the climate crisis within one generation. That's really exciting. And that's what, as we go to air with this, that's what um, we'll be actively working on. So there's a gang of us called the Humans of HVAC and R 2.0. So it's very much focused around the service the industry provides people, not 
not about ducks and pipe work. Well, definitely something to watch. I'll make sure that's included in the show notes. Oh, tremendous. Thank you. So one of the great opportunities, having finished up at Aira, they, they've kind of I've been lucky enough to work on that as a pet project. Now it's freeing up some of my some of my headspace and some of my energy to be able to work out how we can can make that happen. So are you so it's really about trying to create new products like for refrigeration and all that stuff that aren't harmful for the environment? Is that what the goal is? That's yeah, look, absolutely the goal is really to ensure we've got healthy, safe and regenerative environments and the role that our sector can play in achieving that in within a generation so it's it's not it's as much as people like to talk about the tech it's more it is actually more about the people yeah so so what do you see as the future what is the future going to look like we've basically got this whole purpose of, about creating this healthy safe regenerative future so we've got to align a global set of thinking with that and if we think of fridge and refrigeration and air conditioning that actually constrains a lot of thinking because you almost need to think of it as refrigeration as a service well that's you're exactly right and that's mm. what it is but the refrigeration narrative and refrigerant narrative is actually owned by the companies that make a lot of money out of selling refrigeration equipment and refrigerant gas people are always talking about different refrigerants refrigerants isn't the game the game is get rid of the need in the first place as much for like do your passive house yeah. and then then look at what the most efficient type of system is for moving heat around because that's what it, that's what our industry is about it's about moving heat from one place to another and it's done with using electrons from the energy sector what's the engineer's role in this the engineer's role i think is getting their their nerd on all those sci-fi um all that sci-fi stuff that inspired us as kids um, is really about helping free up their minds to, as I say, collaborate globally and really understand the social, technical, behavioural problems, get better at telling stories to each other to and listen to the problems of society in context rather than just going, oh, let's just make a refrigeration machine because it's better than mm. trying to carve ice out of North America and ship it to Australia. Um, and then all this other stuff happened. So the role of engineers, I think, is to use their their basic 101 problem solving, which is context first, um, recognising that every situation is different. So your situation about your fridge is very contextual to you. Mm. Yeah. So that's why we talk about how do we get right down to that grassroots level. I like what you were saying about the engineers' roles is to actually, they're going to have to think about these things and actually, you know, challenge. Reimagine the future, yeah. yeah. Mm. Let's oh, take a step by, back. And... But by, by doing that we and doing it collectively, we can actually accelerate to that, that purpose a lot quicker, I believe, mm. by doing it globally, collectively, and then right down to grassroots. Yeah. So what would you say to, to engineers who are just starting out? So young engineers really inspire me. And I think we probably had a bit of this when we were all that age. You were kind of fearless and you didn't have mortgages and all the rest of it. So you you were able to do this brilliant sort of wild thinking and problem solving. And that kind of gets knocked out of us as as we get older and we become less risk averse. Jaded. I so think it's probably the... <laughs> jaded, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, look at you, man. Cheers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> point. I'm the poster boy for <laughs> that's it. Yeah. But what what I would say, so what would I say to a young engineer was keep keep a young mindset. Um, I'd ask, I'd suggest that they don't get a mentor, but they get a, uh, a collaborator that's wise, that mm. they can inspire and share their new thinking with that's just come out of leading edge research that they've had at school and help inspire the, the the wiser engineers like you and me and grow together um with with everything that you bring so the youth's got the energy they've got this natural born way of collaborating the next generation coming through is super ethical um and that's where i believe we as as the humans of HVACR need to focus at that leading edge of new thinkers to drive start to drive that change. So it's not tapping into old buggers like me and you, um, unless they've got this young mindset, because they're the ones that are the hardest to change. Because one of the change management theory basically mm-hmm. says everyone knows you need it, everyone wants to do it, but no one wants it to be them first. Yeah. So I think the youth are the real change agents. and It's not until you're forced to question it that you actually take a step back and sort of think, yeah. well, is, is, surely there's a better way. We've been doing that for you know, years and years and Forever. years and years because everyone's just going, well, that's the way we do it. When in reality, we should be looking at it and saying, well, is there a better way to do it? Why are we doing it well, like Well, I think that? what yeah. Phil's saying is actually really important, not just for the younger engineers, but also for the older engineers. Because Absolutely. it's a lot of them will go, you know, a young person will say, "Oh, why are you doing that way?" And it's like, "Oh, it's, it's always the way we've <laughs> so been." Do it. Yeah, and full stop. So your advice to um, keep a young mindset is really pertinent. Keep, keep asking why, yeah, why, why, why? It's not, yeah, it's not just the young person; it's the old person. Everybody. And so, what's a piece of engineering that impresses you? This is an easy one. <laughs> So the the fourth rail and road bridge um, in Edinburgh, and the thing I love about that is the really the beauty. Again, it's a context thing. The, I remember looking down the Firth of Forth on a on a misty morning with the sun rising. So you had this amazing backdrop to to the two bridges. One's quite an old bridge, and then one was a, a big steel. Um, I can't remember the name. I'm not a civil engineer, so. But it was just this old versus new across this beautiful setting, a stark piece of really solid engineering to do its job well and simply. And that to simplicity in engineering is is absolutely key. Don't overcomplicate things, which as engineers we do. Mm. It's a we're just looking at it at the moment, it's a gorgeous bridge. Yeah, it looks like a dinosaur. Yeah, 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 with the two with the two two arches and bridges and i think as yeah just i've come to appreciate a a whole lot more engineering when it's put in context of people just to wrap up is there an engineer living or dead that you admire so i was gonna i was actually gonna say james harrison to this who was the guy that invented mechanical refrigeration but having just read the book dark emu Mm. about aboriginal engineering I don't. I, I haven't got a name, but Bruce Pascoe that tells the story is a, he's a phenomenal storyteller about the en- engineering of um, the first people um, and how they used to adapt to climate. And you go, oh my god, why? Like 
when did we stop learning to go back to the basics? Yeah. So no, Bruce, Bruce Pascoe as, as a mouthpiece for, for the engineers of the first people, I think is, should mm. be, I would recommend all engineers read, read Dark Emu. Go and learn from your indigenous people. So yes, us from the Aboriginal, um, yeah, our first people. Um, and again, context about the stories and what what the basics were back in the back in the day before mm. our type of engineers came. They were the, the engineers of nature, basically. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's been great. Thank you, because it's as I say, it's a really transformational time for me, and very excited. To, to be able to work on some of these passion pieces, I'm just looking for how I can give back uh, to the to, to nature, to for mental health, and all the rest of it. So thank you very much for letting me uh, share some of your time and for having me on. No problem. It's great, and uh, thank you for tuning in to episode eight of Engineering Heroes. If you want to know more about our podcast, your best port of call will always be our website. Visit www.engineeringheroes.com.au. Take some time while you're over there to check out everything else that's going on. Maybe sign up for our newsletter. I hope you really enjoyed today's show. The best thing you can do to show your support for engineers is go and tell someone. Tell everyone you know about Engineering Heroes, the podcast. We look forward to you joining us next week when we bring you another interview with one of our engineering champions. 